They had a lovely home. He said to me, where have I gone wrong? But the crumpled note wasn't the only piece of paper he brought in that day. As he had searched his home to discover where his wife had gone, he had discovered a half-written letter she had written to a friend. Tom and I were so in love when we got married, it was nothing for us in those early days to sit and talk for hours. Even when we weren't speaking, there was a sense we knew what the other was feeling. It's hard to know when we really grew apart. It's amazing that a topic like love and marriage can be so complicated, and perhaps we'll never understand it. But God has given us these things for our benefit. A marriage partner is someone who will no doubt test your character, but will also help you to become less selfish. You heard the clip there where Rob Parsons of Care for the Family in the UK is speaking about hindsight and big things seeming so insignificant when you look back. We'll hear more of what Rob is speaking about on our program today. This is Focus on the Family with Graham Schnell, and I'm Alison Schnell. Yeah, Alison, God certainly knew that we'd be beautifully shaped and molded into people He wants us to be through marriage. Because as His Word said, we're to lay down our lives for one another and put the other person before ourselves in order to make a relationship great. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't come naturally to our human nature. And Rob Parsons has a brilliant way of bringing perspective to many of the things that married couples face. And he gives great insight into what can make or break a marriage. He spoke to an audience with a message on love and marriage, which was recorded. And we'd like you to hear his message because there's wisdom and truth in his words for sure. Yeah, well, let's go now to that recorded presentation with Rob Parsons and hear what he has to say about this mysterious concept called marriage. You know, when I was eight years old, my father took me to the circus. And I fell in love with so many of the things about that event, but most of all, I fell in love with the clowns. Oh, for lots of reasons. They could fall without being hurt. They had an incredible disregard of authority. But most of all, I loved them because they never cried. There was always that wonderful, smiling face. And I loved them like that until I was about 14 years old. I was home watching television. It was an old circus film. And by the wonders of modern technology, we were taken inside the caravan of the greatest clown who had ever lived. He was crying. His head was in his hands. And by his side was a mask with a smile on it. And I find today that so many of us are condemned to wear that smile. To say everything's fine, but inside our hearts are breaking. I've come to believe one of the greatest killers of family life is isolation. The belief that we're the only people going through these tough times together. You know, Dan and I have been married for over a quarter of a century now, and during that time we have known moments where we have not felt in love, where everything seemed to scream out, let go, it's over. Do you know the incredible things we have shared that with people? It's as if we don't depress people, you set them free. As others say, yeah, we've been there too. You are not the only people going through tough times with your children. You're not the only people going through difficulties in the whole area of finance or in your sexual relationship together. This is not just you. But we're such a mixed audience. There'll be those there tonight so much in love they resent being here. They could be holding hands in the moonlight somewhere. <laughs> Other couples will be going through tough times. Man sitting next to a wife and in his heart the love has died but he can tell nobody. Somebody on the very edge or in the middle of an affair. They believe that nobody knows. Perhaps people in the office are already beginning to sense what's going on. 
single parent mum or dad, those who have known the trauma of divorce, single people, quite a lot of single people come to this seminar. All kinds of people. And as I share my heart with you tonight, I promise I'll be as honest with you as I possibly can. Look, the last thing most of us need is someone to come over the horizon with ten easy answers. That says, if you could be a husband like me, if you could have a marriage like ours, you'd do well. Most of us don't need that. I'll be as honest with you as I possibly can. I've had the privilege of talking about family issues in many different cultures in the world. I see thousands of letters that come in. The family has the ability to give incredible joy and unbelievable pain. And so in our short time together today, I've selected from many of the issues we could talk about, several that I believe can make or break relationships. In fact, from the many letters we receive, I have highlighted four phrases that come up time and time again. Phrase number one, I see this in letters so often, I expected so much more from this marriage. You know, today, all kinds of people will be married. They'll all tell you they're in love, they'll look good, they'll be smiling, they'll have high expectations of their partner. They're convinced they've married the right person, but those expectations can be quickly broken. You know, today we have high expectations, don't we? David Borstein wrote a fascinating book about those expectations. He said this, Today in life we expect anything and everything. We expect the contradictory and the impossible. We expect compact cars which are spacious, luxurious cars which are economical. We expect our two-week holiday to be romantic, exotic, cheap and effortless. We expect a faraway atmosphere. If we go to a nearby place, we expect to eat and stay slim, to be constantly on the move and ever more neighborly. Never has a people expected so much more than the world can give. It's two of our children. There's a young mum in a supermarket. She has a brand new baby. He's about six weeks old. She's so proud of this child. She says to people who gaze down at him, I think he's already talking. <laughs> I think that was a word then. And then suddenly, behind her, she hears an almighty noise, she turns, there's a three-year-old toddler. He is spread-eagled on the supermarket floor. From somewhere he's got a carton of yogurt, he has a, a carton of peanut butter in his other hand, he's dispensing these around the aisle. His poor mother stands immobile. She is fixed to the spot, she is crimson with embarrassment. And the brand new mother, with her brand new baby, says in her heart, thank goodness, that is not my child. <laughs> What she doesn't know <laughs> is as she passes this little debacle, her baby leans over the edge of his buggy, winks at the toddler, <laughs> and whispers, I can't wait to try that. <laughs> Same with our teens. We have such high expectations for them, we never ever did think they would turn out like those other people's teens. If we'd had an inkling of that, we'd have never given them advice on how to bring up their children. We never ever did believe we'd have to love these kids against the odds. We have such high expectations. And it's true in marriage. One of the main causes of conflict in marriage is we become so disappointed in our partner. We had expected so much more of them. It's fascinating to watch couples at the beginning of their married lives together. If somebody criticizes their partner, they immediately spring to their partner's defense. That tends to wear off after a while. 
And now our expectations begin to be dashed. What we used to call strong, we now call stubborn. What we used to call gentle, we now call weak. We begin to say, if only Sally were more like Susan, if only Harry were more like Tom, if only I had a husband, a wife like her husband, his wife. Someone said we married a dream and we really didn't want to wake up. But we do wake up and sometimes we're disappointed. We may say I've married the wrong person. We begin to let our mind wander to that ideal person who is out there somewhere. We imagine the kind of person who might make us happy. If only my partner were thinner or fatter or wittier or stronger with the children. We begin to think about this person out there who is incredible at conversation, brilliant DIY, a sexual athlete. Everything we had ever dreamed of. We may even begin to imagine getting the news our partner has died. And although we are ashamed of it, we begin to let our mind roam to how quickly we would meet this new person who would fulfill all our needs. We may decide the way forward is to change our partner. Change can be a good thing, but sometimes we demand too much of it. You know, when I was about 10 or 11 years old, I was very weedy, and I saw an advert in a magazine for a course called a Charles Atlas Bodybuilding Course. Anybody here send off for that course? Uh, you wouldn't admit it if you had, would you? <laughs> Well, I sent off it. I saved up for, for months for this thing and eventually it came in a big cardboard box. I, I didn't open it in front of my parents, so I took it upstairs. The contents weren't quite as grand as the box seemed to suggest, but I began getting up early to work on this thing. It promised me nobody would ever kick sand in my face ever again and that girls would constantly bother me on beaches. I so desperately I wanted to be bothered. <laughs> On the third day, while performing some intricate uh, kind of uh, maneuver that would affect some muscle deep here uh, within my shoulder, I twisted it. I had to wear a collar all summer. I lay on the beach, my head supported with towels, and nobody kicked sand in my face, they felt too sorry for me. No girls bothered me. You know, we smile, don't we, at the, the efforts of a small boy to make himself somebody he could not possibly be. But we so often do it to those we love. You know, I think it was the most poignant letter I have ever received. It was from a woman. She said, my father never told me he loved me, he never praised me. He thought praise would make me big-headed. He never hugged me. She said, I know he's a product of his generation and I have forgiven him, but my self-esteem is very low, I'm often depressed, I'm riddled with guilt. And then she wrote, I am 85 years old. I thought so much about that woman. I've tried to imagine her as a teenager rushing home with paintings for her father, but they were never good enough. Tried to imagine her as a teenager trying to dress to please him, as a young woman taking the career that he wanted her to have, but she never could please him. She could be never good enough for this man, and now she's near to death herself. And he longs since dead, but it is as if his ghost is at her side, demanding she become somebody she cannot be. It can happen so easily in a marriage. If only my partner were this, if only they were that. And sometimes not until a marriage is over, we will look back and wonder, why were those things such a big deal to me? 
Why was it such a big deal that he was stronger with the children when he was kind and always there for me? Why was her dress size so much more important than the woman she was? Why were those things such a big deal? Perhaps we should consider something G.K. Chesterton said. He said, the way to love anything is to realize it might be lost. And so, ladies and gentlemen, our journey together today is not a journey for perfection, but for a strong relationship. And any one of the issues we're considering together today can change our relationship forever, both for good or bad. But in my opinion, the next one is in a class of its own. Now, the first phrase I picked out from a letter was, I expected so much more of my marriage. The second phrase is, we don't talk anymore. It was a warm September afternoon. It had been a busy day in the law practice and she was my last client. Uh, she'd refused to tell my secretary the nature of her visit, so when she sat down, I had no idea what she wanted. I said, how can I help you? She said, I think my marriage is over. How long have you been married? 17 years. Do you have any children? A boy of seven and a girl of ten. Why is your relationship broken down so badly? He has made me an island. I'm sorry, would, would you repeat that? He has made me an island. He will talk to me about nothing. In the early years of our marriage, we had spent ages talking together, but something has happened to him. It seems he can't talk to me. When he gets in, I ask him about his day, and I get the same answer, the same grunt I get when I ask my son how it went at school. But it's deeper than that. We've had problems before, but we could always talk about them. And then she said this to me, Have you any idea what it's like to share your life your time, your body with somebody who will not talk with you about anything in depth. She said, eventually, you die inside. She would have gone on, but just then the coffee arrived, and as I poured it, my mind went to another client who'd sat in that same chair just hours before. I knew Tom and his wife well, and I knew the man uh, better than I knew the wife. He was a hard man, often in control, a high-flying businessman, not very emotional, which made it hard for me to understand the, the figure I'd seen in front of me that day. When he came in, he'd obviously been crying. He had a crumpled note in his hand. He just pulled it from the fridge door, and he handed it to me as though it had a life of its own. It said, I need time to think. Taking the kids to my mother's, I'll be away for a couple of days. I'll be in touch soon. Love, Susan. I listened as he poured his heart out to me. He couldn't understand what the problem was. He'd always provided for his wife and his family. They took frequent holidays. They had a lovely home. He said to me, where have I gone wrong? But the crumpled note wasn't the only piece of paper he brought in that day. As he had searched his home to discover where his wife had gone, he had discovered a half-written letter she had written to a friend. Tom and I were so in love when we got married, it was nothing for us in those early days to sit and talk for hours. Even when we weren't speaking, there was a sense we knew what the other was feeling. It's hard to know when we really grew apart. Tom's job became more and more demanding. I had the children to see to. It may have been I gave them too much attention and he felt excluded, but looking back I honestly feel if I hadn't been speaking to them, I wouldn't have been talking to anybody. He comes home so tired he can hardly say hello, let alone tell me about his day or pretend to be interested in mine. I hate it. I long to speak to him. 
And sometimes after we had made love, I would for a moment believe he felt close to me. And as we lay there, I'd begin to share with him so much of what I'd been longing to say. But so often as I did, I would realize he was already asleep. And then a strange thing happened. I learned to live without him. Oh, I tried hard to be a wife to him, but inside I learned to live apart from him. It was as if something in my very being said, you're on your own now, for your sake and the kids, face it. Learn to live with it. Lack of communication doesn't mean not talking about anything. It means not talking about anything that really matters. There comes a point in many marriages where one of the partners either cannot or will not talk about things that the other one is dying to share their heart about. Such people can be great communicators in other settings. He in the office of fact is the life and soul of the party. She has several friends with whom she shares the most intimate details of her lives. But at home they have lost the ability to share with those they love. All kinds of reasons have been suggested as to why we find it so hard to communicate. It's no secret that men find it hard to share their heart in depth. But watch this man at the beginning of an affair. He sat in a car talking to his secretary. He's speaking ten to the dozen. She says to him, my husband never speaks to me like this. He says, my wife never listens. The sheer excitement of that affair is keeping that conversation going. They're simply not taking each other for granted. That day will come for them fast enough. You know, I am convinced that many marriages of 20, 30 years haven't had an hour when they've actually listened to each other. You know, when it comes to sharing our hearts, most of us need all the help we can get. Here are four ways that other couples have shared with me they have found helpful. Number one... Use discussion starters. They're just ways that get us going in conversation. Di and I have used them sometimes. Now you'll soon get off those silly discussion starters, but they just get you going in conversation. Secondly, plan communication. You know, I can think of an over-busy executive, the kind of man that couldn't resist the phone ringing. He lived life in a flurry of activity, and one day he realized the things he loved most, including his wife, was slipping through his fingers. He destined every Tuesday night they would meet. Every Tuesday night, sometimes a meal, sometimes nothing like as grand, cup of coffee, a walk around the park, but they planned that time for communication in. You could not get near that man on a Tuesday night. It mattered to him. Number three, write your partner a letter. You say, this seminar is getting worse. We're mailing each other now. <laughs> I know a man who told me, he said, writing my wife a letter not only saved my marriage, but made my marriage. You know, sometimes we can share in a letter what we find so hard to articulate. Here's one letter a man wrote to his wife. Darling, I am so sorry that we don't seem to be able to talk to each other anymore. I think I know why you find it so hard. I know for most of our married life it's been you pleading with me to sit down and talk. But you are so much better with words than me. And when we begin to fight, I always lose the argument. I'm sorry for the way I hurt you last Friday. But so often I feel cornered. But I do love you. Let's both try. If we don't, there's no hope. And sometimes when we set out in a letter basic things that are on our heart, we just get communication going again. 
But principle number four, I think, may be the deepest of them all. It's that what many people are craving for in a relationship is not just someone to talk to them, but someone to listen to them. You know, the greatest compliment you can pay another person when you're speaking to them is to look in their eyes when they're talking to you. Just look right into their very eyes. Diane used to say to me when the children were small, Darling, kneel down, cup their heads in your hand and look in their eyes when they're speaking to you. You may have heard of the little girl who was reading to her father. She's about five years old. He had his head sunk in the newspaper. She said, Daddy, listen to me while I read to you. He said, I am listening. Daddy, she said, you have to listen with your eyes. Melissa Sands, who founded Mistresses Anonymous, said, Many wives think the mistress has a sexual manual that keeps her man bewitched. Actually, she said, many are fantastic listeners. You know, many of us are craving somebody who will just listen. When you listen, you say to somebody, you matter to me. I'm interested in your life. I am with you. Rob Parsons manages to hit those really sensitive topics head on and even make you laugh about some of your own misconceptions on how marriage works. The two phrases that Rob hit today were, I expected so much more from this marriage. And we don't talk anymore. I hope you've taken something away from this program that you can apply in your own marriage, even if it's just a mindset shift. We're going to hear the rest of Rob's presentation on tomorrow's program, so I do hope you can join us to hear more pearls of wisdom from this gifted speaker. The book we want to recommend is called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage by Mark Gungle. Using his unique blend of humor and tell-it-like-it-is honesty, he helps couples get along and have fun while doing it. You'll find it online at safamily.co.za or you can give us a call on 031-716-3300. Thanks for listening in today. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back for the conclusion of our program tomorrow when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.